You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. Uh, when Mark Twain, uh, one of the American history's greatest storytellers, was asked, who do you think uh, is the world's greatest storyteller? He said, Jesus Christ. And I don't think he was joking. And so they asked, well, what story of Jesus's do you think is his greatest story? And he said, uh, the story of the prodigal son. The same reason 625 million people listen to Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way <laughs> is the same reason we all still connect so readily with this parable of the prodigal son. I believe we all want and we long for a great return home. So why don't we read this together? Luke 15, verse 11. These are the words of God. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had sent, spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields uh, to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods and the pig that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands uh, have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hand, servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is, is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, well, your brother's come. Your, your, your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to ask Nalini Wilburn to come and pray for our message today. And I asked her to pray in her native tongue, which is Thai. She's from Thailand, so. พระเจ้าค่ะขอบคุณมากนะคะสําหรับความรักและความเมตตาของพระองค์แล้วก็ขอให้ทุกๆคนในในโลกใบนี้มีความสุขมากๆนะคะพระเจ้าขอบคุณ
I didn't know when you were done. Now, <laughs> I don't know if she said anything good about me or not, but I'm going to trust the Lord with it. I just, I like to emphasize that the, the nations aren't just overseas, they're among us. And so we, we want to be reaching them. I'm th- so thankful to her. Uh, well, unlike the woman at the well or Zacchaeus or Paul, this wasn't an actual true story. This was a parable. And many of you know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this is one of the most popular parables in all the Bible. It's longer than Jesus' other parables. And, and MacArthur says it's even more detailed than all the others. It's, it's just interesting that God put so much length and detail into this one parable and even placed it at the end of three connected parables. And I believe it's because he's driving home a point. And we may not get to that main point until next week because I'm going to take at least two weeks to preach this. But Luke's the only gospel to share this trilogy. Hey, listen, you students, long before George Lucas put out a trilogy, Physician Lucas put out a trilogy. Amen. The lost sheep in Luke 15, verse 4, the lost coin in Luke 15, verse 8, and the lost son in Luke 15, 11. Some time ago, my father-in-law, who's a pastor, a beloved pastor in this area, he broke these three stories down. And I'm going to let that his, some of his outlines serve as a rant, on-ramp for us today to get to our conversation about the, the three sons. But first, we need to look at what sparked these three parables. Why would Jesus share this parable? Well, back up to Luke 15, verse 1. This is the context of this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. (laughs) That's a good sign. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That was what precipitated this parable. We've already seen in the last few months in this sermon series that the religious elite, a.k.a. the Pharisees. And by the way, Pharisees may not wear robes in our churches today, but they're still here. You know, Christian people who think they're better than other Christian people. (laughs) And, uh, well, I don't know that the the Pharisees were Christian. But anyway, they took cleanliness to great hypocritical heights. But Jesus, instead of going off on them, now just imagine if you were omniscient. You knew all, past, present, future. And you had these people coming to you and mad at you for hanging out with sinners. You know what I'd have said? Hey, listen here. Tim. You want to get mad at me? You cheated on your wife last month. And Mike, Mike, you, you're a carpenter, and you charged that widow woman twice what it should have cost to fix her door. Shame on you. And, and Mary and Rachel, you two rascals, last night you were gossiping like crazy at that dinner party. You think I didn't hear that? I mean, that's what I would have done. All right? <laughs> I didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. He says, he get, instead he gives these three powerful parables. And the first of these is the lost sheep. And I just want to back up and read this, Luke 15, verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We, know, we all know that there's, there's uh, only one worse thing than being lost, and that's being lost and no one looking for you. And uh, in all three of these parables, something's lost but later found. And Tommy points out the sheep is lost because of ignorance. Why was the sheep lost? Ignorance. Listen, sheep aren't just 
uh, cuddly and cute, right? They're not just things we dream about in our sleep. Sheep are actually very nasty when it rains and in the mud, they get, their wool gets dirty. They have very few defenses against predators except for herding up together. They're, they're, sheep are very ignorant animals. It's not a compliment to be called a sheep, <laughs> all right? As a matter of fact, there's been studies, you can look these up online, the universities have done studies to prove that sheep are indeed not ignorant. They're very intelligent animals. Well, there's also studies by actual sheep herders who actually own sheep and are around them all day, and they say, no, they're just dumb. <laughs> the lost sheep seem to have gotten separated from the herd, and it didn't even know that it was in danger. It's bad to be lost, but even worse, to not even know it. So what did the personified lost sheep do? The, it's not just a sheep we're talking about here, folks. This is a person. This is the personification of what, that God's trying to make about you as a lost person. What did they need? What does the lost person need? What does the lost sheep need? They need information. Ignorant things need information. Lost people need to know the truth about uh, their sinful condition, the danger that they're in the rescue that they can have. 1 Corinthians breaks this down for us. Uh, 15 verse 34, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. <laughs> so what information do they need? They need the gospel truth. And there's a lot of passages that describe this, the gospel truth, but I think Paul summarizes it best maybe in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 through 5. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Of course, He went on to appear to 500 as well, right? Church, we've got to know that we're sinners. We've got to know that Christ died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb and he rose on the third day. We've got to know that. He mentioned uh, Will Metzger's book, To Tell the Truth. He says, witnessing is more than reciting our personal spiritual autobiography. Spiritual truths about spirit, a specific person are the subject of our proclamation. Paul didn't go overboard trying to prove the validity of Christianity just because it's changed his life, but because it was objective truth. Yes, I can say this is what God did for me, but someone can say that from any religion. Well, this is what I feel. No, we're talking about objective truth that cannot change. If you're lost out of ignorance and you've been listening to this message, you now have the powerful, mighty gospel of God. His death, burial, and resurrection. You know it now. There are no more excuses. Donald Dr. Donald Whitney said, people can be converted whether they hear the gospel from a teenager teaching VBS or a seminary trained evangelist with a PhD, whether they read it in a book by an Oxford scholar like C.S. Lewis, or whether they read it in a simple tract. It's the gospel that God blesses like no other words and not our own power of persuasion. Do we understand that, church? The gospel has power in itself. Some here in this message today think, well, you know what? Who cares? I'm going to wait to my deathbed and then I'm going to cry out to God. Friend, you don't know what your mind will be like on your deathbed. You could have Alzheimer's. Your mind could have slipped away. You could be in a coma. And friend, listen, you can't come to know the Lord without information. There's no salvation without information. Jesus can't take away your sins post-mortem. There's specific information that a lost person must have in order to be saved. 
Yes, it's the helping Holy Spirit that helps us understand that and pulls the scales off our eyes and helps us go, oh, okay, I get it. But he doesn't do that without information. Well, next up in the on-ramp to the lost son is the lost coin. Luke 15, verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does it light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the, the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the sheep was lost for ignorance, but the coin is lost out of carelessness and neglect. Y'all have all heard of the woman whose husband was a pilot. And, uh, but he was notorious for uh, not being able to locate things in the house. So he came down one morning for breakfast and he, he said, Babe, uh, where's the salt? And boy, she'd had enough. She snapped back at him. She said, How in the world can you find a runway in Detroit at night in a, in a snowstorm, but you can't find salt in your own dadgum kitchen? He calmly replied, well, babe, they don't move Detroit. <laughs> and I know men move things too. Listen, God's truth hasn't moved, right? We did. We've moved away from it. So the sheep was lost out of ignorance, but the coin was lost from neglect. Tommy mentions tradition says that this coin that Jesus alludes to here was not just any old coin. That tradition has it that the coin that she lost in this parable was referring to a, a, a band of ten coins that a married woman would wear. And for her to lose it would be a, a great loss in that time. She was careless with it. Church, you may not feel like uh, the lost sheep, right? You've got all this information about God. You, you grew up in the South. You, you know, you're surrounded by podcasts and Bibles on your phone and apps and devotions, you know coming at you from every angle. Well, that may be true. Maybe you're not the lost sheep, but you might be the lost coin. You're, you have the truth, but you're neglecting it. You're treating the revelation of God carelessly. If God's revealed himself to you, it's no small thing. If a person's lost out of ignorance, they need true information. And a person lost from neglect, what do they need? Well, they need a warning. And the warning's not just repent or you're going to have a really bad day. It's repent or else. <laughs> Two chapters earlier in Luke 13, verse 5, he says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, let them leap to hell over our bodies. If hell must be filled, let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. So what's the warning? For the, for the careless neglect of the valuable coin. Well, it's threefold to three different groups of people. There's those that resist salvation. They know salvation's there. They know God is calling them, but they're, they're resisting it with rebellion and stubbornness. And for them, it's a warning of destruction. Hebrews 9, 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There's no, there's no waiting around right after that. To be absent, for, for the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for the unbeliever to be absent from the body is to be in judgment, in punishment. Matthew 13, verse 41, the Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the, the stubborn person that's running from God needs 
uh, a warning for destruction. And the lost seeking salvation, for many of you here, there's some of you in this room, I believe, that you believe in the Lord. You'd say, I, I profess Christ, but you haven't done that publicly. And Jesus says in his word, God says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven, but you haven't confessed him before men yet. And for you, it's a warning to not delay. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You seekers out there that haven't made your public commitment yet, you need to do that. Stop delaying. And then finally, to the lost who have been found, which represent a large portion of this room, I believe, it's a warning to not drop out. What do you mean, preacher? We can't lose our salvation. Well, just listen. Revelation 3.11 says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And I think 1 John 2.19 pretty much explains it. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may become plain that they are not of us. Dr. Vincent says this doesn't teach we're saved by continuing but that the saved continue. Salvation's not fire insurance you sign in a 10 second moment, stick it in a lockbox somewhere. It's a past action with an abiding consequence. Friend, listen, if your desire for his church and for his holy word and for prayer and for reaching the lost is nil in your life, it's, it's, if it's unexistent, if it's less than it has been, then you need to get on your faces before God and treat it seriously and cry out to him this prayer, that the same prayer that David cried out to God for in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God, I'm gonna serve you, but make me a willing spirit. Make me enjoy it. That's the lost sheep. That's the lost coin. And they're all headed toward this third parable, which is the lost son. And, and this is actually a trilogy of three sons, <laughs> as the sermon title suggests, right? There's a trilogy of parables, but in the last parable, there's a trilogy of three sons. And the first of these is the younger prodigal son himself. And this story is pretty straightforward, right? So what were the circumstances of the younger son? What were his circumstances? Well, he kicks it off with verse 12 with greed. Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. <laughs> the ESV explains he's probably a teenager. He's still unmarried. His share would probably have been half of what his older brother got because the older brother got most of it, right? And then maybe one third of the estate, right? But his motive was full of prideful grief. A cause and effect, right? And then that led to family division, verse 12, and he divided his property between them. Well, that's not all he divided. <laughs> it's easy to forget that the older brother probably wasn't ready to divvy up his inheritance just yet. He's working on the farm, making a good living. I don't want to, this, this whole thing's growing. The, the portion of what I'm going to get is going to be bigger in, in a few years. When I get ready to get married and have my own family, I'm going to get a big portion. Why are you going to cut it off right here? Leave that, leave it in the percolator, leave it in the bank a little longer. I imagine it caused division between sibling rivalry. I can imagine all the workers 
standing around the family gossiping. Can you believe this? What's, 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 what's Junior done? Well, he's, they're saying he's going to take all the money and go. He's, he's like leaving. Are you kidding me? Well, what's, what's uncle going to say about it? Well, he's giving it to him. And I, I believe it, it, it made for a really awkward family gathering. Y'all have any of those people at Thanksgiving and Christmas? Just like, I don't know what Uncle Larry's going to say. You know? It may be you. You're probably the one and you don't even know it. They're all talking about you. <laughs> Y'all keep in mind that the wealth back then, it, it wasn't like they stroked a cashier's check, right? There may have been cattle to be auctioned, land to be divided, homes and jewelry to sell. He probably had to liquefy some assets to give his son his portion. And I can imagine all the friction that that would have caused uh, at the family dinner. And this obviously highlights the young boy's impatience. Verse 13, not many days later, you know, well, he really thought long and hard about that decision, didn't he? Give it all to me. I'm going to think about this. And then not many days later, he gathered all he had and took a journey. He wasn't wait, waiting around to cool his jets or think if this was a good decision or not. He wasn't taking a portion of his inheritance or asking for a loan from his daddy so he could go tour Europe. This was like all of it. And I believe it may be because he wasn't ever coming back. Or maybe he thought he would make it on his own with the money that he was given. I don't know. But I know this. He was greedy. He was divisive. He was impatient and forth. He was reckless. Verse 13, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. No care for others. No care for the mother or father who loved him. No time to sit and consider his ways. He was wild and out of control. And listen, church, just like last week, there's people in this room, you think, I'm not a reckless person. I'm a very calm, uh, methodical man, methodical woman. Friend, listen, if you get that holy word that's in your hand or on your phone right now and you, you hold that against your life, the steps you go through to make big decisions, how much God's in those decisions, your parenting techniques, your, your, your ethics, if you weigh them against the law of God, you may find that you're a lot more reckless than you know. His protecting, correcting, holy, life-filled word shines, it's like beating the couch cushion when the sun shines through all that dust shows. It, it shines light on it. He was reckless. We can smile and look churchy on the outside, but we may be reckless as can be on the inside. Up to this point, though, listen, he was his own cause and effect, right? I mean, he had been precipitating his own outcome by his sin and recklessness. But remember, Matthew 5.45 says, He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the, on the unjust. And friend, in a fallen world, famine comes to both. <laughs> and it was coming. So in addition to our own sins is this ridiculous sinful world we live in, uh, which was famine for him. Verse 14, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Friend, he was already in need. He just didn't know it. And here he faced two things that weren't of his own making. He faced famine. And as the next verse shares, he faced the greed of this world. Luke 15, 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And it says no one gave him anything. Now, I don't know if this was tough love, no one giving him anything, like a drug addict, you're not going to give money to a drug addict. 
I don't know what it was. But he felt it. He felt the greed of the world closing in. And by the way, pigs were unclean to Jews. They weren't even supposed to touch them, much less bend down to feed them. That's humiliating. And here he wanted to eat their food. MacArthur notes that carob pods used to, used to feed the pigs were virtually undigestible for humans. In other words, the only reason he didn't eat that, the pig food, is because he couldn't. His body wouldn't digest it. Cause and effect, cause and effect. We can be full of excuses of sin and running from God, but most of the time we make our own cause, don't we? Remember, the sheep was lost for ignorance, needed information. The coin was lost from neglect and, and needed a warning. But what about the, the younger son? What was the cause of his lostness? His own personal choice. He left the loving protection of his father, went out on his own. Praise God, only God can use a depressing famine and greedy bosses to bring a son to his senses. Church, I don't want you to miss this part. Listen, the sheep needed information, right? The coin's owner needed a warning. But what does the lost son need? Well, in the first parable, the shepherd goes to find his lost sheep, right? And the main emphasis there is on the shepherd's endurance. He, he in Luke 15, 4 says, until he finds it. In the second parable, the woman searches for the coin. And I think a main emphasis there is on the thoroughness. It says in Luke 15, 8, she, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, she searches diligently. So the thoroughness of the search. But the third parable, what is it that the, the lost son needs? It says the father waited. Patiently waiting for the boy to come to his senses. That's the question begs the question. You can teach the lost son, the lost sheep. You can warn the neglectful woman, but what can you do for the young son who has, of his own volition, chosen to stay away from the father? You pray and you wait. Church, our greatest weapon on the battlefield of the souls of mankind, our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, our children, our neighbors, and even our enemies are these two things. Prayer and patient expectation. It's the picture of an old farmer. He's planted his crops. He's cultivated the field. He's pulled up the weeds. He's done everything in his power he can do. And now he sits and stares at the heavens and prays and waits for rain. Things we can do, things we can't do. You can yell at a seed all you want, but you ain't going to make it grow. You can set the conditions for growth, but you won't make it grow. That's the Father's hand. We, we have to submit to that as parents, as spouses. Well, the parable tips us off to three specific prayers. We can do something. Well, how, how do we pray for the lost soul? Well, number one, Lord, show them their need. The son saw three of his own needs. Verse 17, I perish with hunger. Verse 18, I've sinned. And verse 19, I'm unworthy. He was hungry. He was a sinful, unworthy man, which is basically an essential list for all true believers. Number two, Lord, 
bring them to a decision. Don't just bring them to know their need. Bring them to, to make a decision on that need. Right? The son decided that he, he, he knew what he was going to do. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, arise, go, say. He made a decision. Pray that your that lost loved one would make a decision. And then number three, pray, Lord, let them act on the decision. Many decisions have been made. <laughs> not just, just not so much action. I meant to get her something nice for Mother's Day. Whoops, right? <laughs> Letting y'all, that's just a little heads up, guys. It's right around the corner. Let them take action. Verse 20, he arose. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He thought about it and then he did it. Amen. I got $100 right here. Anybody want that $100? Yeah. <laughs> well, y'all aren't shy, are you? There's a lot of takers, all right? There's 100 bucks. Now, what if I were to crumble that, that up? You still want that $100? Okay, well, hold on a minute. What if I stomp on that $100? You still want that $100? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. What if I pitch it in the trash? You still want it? You going to dig it out of the trash? Yeah, it's $100. What if I spit on it? Some of y'all rich enough, you're like, nah, I don't want it now. We got COVID going around and stuff. <laughs> it's kind of it's sick season, you know. Hey, listen, here's the deal. Other than tearing this up, right? This money, no, how, no matter how filthy and dirty it gets, it hadn't lost one bit of its worth, has it? You need to understand that about mankind. Mankind's worth doesn't come from what he does. Do you understand that? Your value isn't because you're good or bad. You're bad. All right, I'll just tell you right now. You're filthy. Some of you both inside and out. Some of, most of us just on the inside. <laughs> We're just good old Christians who know how to conceal it better. I watch, I watch movies all the time where people sin. I'm like, man, I could have sinned a lot better than that. You know? I wouldn't have got caught. Yeah, you would have <laughs> in the end. Friend, listen. You're worth what someone's willing to pay for you. You understand that? Your value comes from God. God's creation has value. A father's child doesn't decrease in value because of sin. Because his value is not in his righteousness alone. Good deeds pale in comparison to the holiness of God. So where does this value come from if we're so wicked? Let me just read it to you. Genesis 1, 27. I'll close with these passages. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We've, just, we've been going over this on Wednesday nights. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Your image is holy because it's modeled and a reflection of God, your creator. Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. You're a reward. Everyone in here is this. You're a child. You're somebody's child. 
Psalm 139, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You're wonderful. <laughs> your, your spouse or parents may not think so sometimes, but the God's word says otherwise. Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You're known by God. 1 Corinthians 3 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Those who have called on the name of the Lord. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I don't know how it gets any clearer than that. I'll end with Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? No matter how much filth is on this $100. Everybody in here wants it. <laughs> well, I'm keeping it because it's mine. Um, so doggone it, I thought this, this was going to be a giveaway. Man, I was going to go down to Slim Chickens and have me a free lunch. Hey, listen, crumpled, stomped on, disregarded, spit on. Maybe it's lost in a coat pocket that, you, that uh, your wife sent off to Goodwill. It doesn't matter where that $100 goes, its value is in it. And that's the same with mankind. You're valuable even before you trust in Christ because you're God's creation. That's why God doesn't want you to go to hell. You're special, don't forget it. If you're away from Him, would you please come home? Come home. Would you stand? Father God, we, uh, we can all relate to the prodigal son. We have a prodigal nature. When we look at what you've given us as a heavenly father, uh, we're grateful. We have life, we have breath, we have food on our plate. We have someone who loves us. We may not feel like they're on this earth, but we have a father in heaven who loves us. We have a father who says you're, he'll be a father to the fatherless. That's you, Lord. And so God, we... We ask you, Lord, and I ask you in the name of Jesus. There's people in here that are still running from you, running from uh, your loving, drawing hand that's ready to celebrate their repentance, running because you're too fearful of publicly professing Christ. My father wasn't ashamed. When that rebel son came running up that road, he ran to him. I pray you'd come home to God. And if you're a church member that just needs to plug in and be more a part of this local body of Christ, the bride of Christ is, a, is, is sanctioned by God. It has authority. The church is His. And you need to join it, be part of it, serve through it, exercise your spiritual gifts in this place. So I pray for you that are still searching for a church home to, to pray and make that decision. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.